0: It's time to think bigger.
1: Elias Pettersson scores
0: and think bolder.
1: Matthew Tkachuk, what a goal!
0: This is Rintoul in sermon. Another chance, great save by Markstrom. There is shot, be back. Great save by Tim Cole. on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
2: What's going on? How's your Tuesday? It's Scott Rintel. It's Karen Sermon. It's all of you. Join the party. Nine sixty nine sixty six fifty six fifty. We're gonna make your Tuesday better. That's what we do. Hope you're off to a great start. Hope you're well rested, Karen. Though with the volume of information that came out over the weekend, you might have needed an extra day to try to digest everything that happened around the National Hockey League and all the storylines that brought us into this week.
3: Yeah, we talk about buffer days, Scott, when you come back from vacation. I needed a buffer day after Saturday. Man, oh, man. My Twitter, I was just constantly refreshing Twitter, refreshing Twitter. Wait, Carrie Price? Excuse me, what? What's happening? I don't understand this. Yeah, it was a crazy weekend in the sporting world, especially in the hockey world. uh, It was fun, but I had an extra day to relax. Looking forward to getting the show going today. Pretty pumped. How are you?
2: I'm doing just fine. I didn't have to practice a beer mile over the weekend, though. Did you get any work in?
3: (laughs) No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a good thing. <laughs> I just going to go quickly say, like, I did that one run, what was it, last Monday, Scott, Tuesday, maybe? Um, my calves and body was feeling it for, like, the entire week. So I'm like, okay, I know I can get through three kilometers without having to stop. I think my training's good. You know, we don't have this as, like, a timed Guinness Book of World Records beer miles. So I, uh, I think my training is the one run, and that's about it.
2: Well, maybe just stretch up. We don't want you rupturing in an Achilles. Another one of those oh. to report from football today. We will get to that throughout the course of the show. And, yeah, if you're a Rams fan, not good news. And if you're a fantasy football owner of a particular player, not great news. You said Carey Price, and that's what everybody's been talking about, and it remains the biggest talking point in the NHL mm-hmm. here on Tuesday. And I'm not sure if there's strong conviction from the hockey world in general. It seems like this is still a very 50-50 proposition. We're going to ask Mike McKenna about this at the bottom of the hour, and Mm -hmm. yeah, he's got goaltender bias, which actually makes this question more compelling when we ask Mm -hmm. him. I don't even know what he's going to say. Have you settled on an answer as to whether or not you would select Carey Price if you were the Seattle Kraken, Karen?
3: Uh, I think about every hour I go back and forth and I have a reason to why I would say, yes, absolutely take him. And then I have a reason as to, no, you stay the heck away from Carey Price if you're the Seattle Kraken. I mean, there's just different ways to look at it. If you're looking at from Seattle's point of view, it's the cost analysis of... Is it worth it? Can you market him? But you're going to put, you know, so much money of your cap allocation for just one player, an aging goaltender that may have injury issues. What does this contract look like 39 years from now, but Scott, Carey Price is the face of your franchise. I mean, just think of all the possibilities that can go along marketing with that for Seattle. They don't have to worry about season tickets and selling tickets. I understand that, but just all the Jersey recruit uh, recruitment that you could do with a Carey Price and putting him out there. And so I understand why. Seattle would have to look into this but Montreal I understand why they're doing it you've got a player that might be hurt you could possibly lose 10.5 million dollars off your cap it and if not well you're losing somebody else and it's not Jake Allen so I mean I completely understand why Montreal did it but it's it's interesting to me because you have to look at it from all three points of view I guess the most intriguing part about all of this is Scott is what does Carey Price want to do really in reality I mean none of us know right now but is he helping Montreal out but by waving this no move clause Is there a little piece of them that guess that's okay and saying, yeah, I'm willing to go to Seattle and willing to make this move and leaving the franchise I spent my entire career with and just took to the Stanley Cup final. I mean, there's so many different aspects around that I just find so intriguing.
2: And I don't know that we'll get the answer from Carey Price anytime soon. We'll see what Seattle does tomorrow. Sounds like it's going to be a heck of a production down in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to go back to Carey Price for a second, I don't want to make the entire show Carey Price oriented today. A lot of that was focused on yesterday on this program. And I suppose the exact same question. What does Carey Price really think? I do think it's an interesting wrinkle that Carey Price went to Mark Bergevin as opposed to the other way around. Maybe that is to be expected because you don't want to piss off your franchise player, and you don't want to piss off a guy who's won a Hart Trophy and a Vesna and just backstop your team to a Stanley Cup final. Mm-hmm. But that appears to be the reality of the situation. That he went to Bergman and said, "Hey, here's what I'm willing to do. What do you think?" So, to your point, there's got to be at least a part of him. I don't know what percentage that's okay with it ending this way. And I've heard it. I've heard the case be made around hockey circles in the last couple of days as well. Like in some ways. This is the perfect way to leave Montreal with any without any hard feelings against Carey Price. And I'm not saying he is orchestrating it that way, but it just remains a matter of fact. That you would go out having backstopped the Canadiens to a Stanley Cup final. You've done everything from an individual standpoint. And you you end it before you get to the bitter end of the financial obligation yeah. that the team's on the hook for as well. I don't think that's why he did this. But it's a part of the story if, in fact, it happens.
3: Well, perceptions, I think a lot of people, you know, are worried about how they'll be perceived. Scott, and yeah, like, what does this deal look like in four or five years from now? It's going to be an albatross, likely, on the Montreal Canadiens or could be on the Seattle Kraken. And I guess you're just trying to look at it as it's like, Carey Price understands this. and He knows where he's at in his career. He knows where his body is. He obviously knows, like, he can't withstand you know, a 60-game season anymore. And the fact that it came out, like, he has a really good relationship with Jake Allen, and for the Montreal Canadiens to succeed and for Carey Price to be the best that he can be during the postseason, he needs a Jake Allen, a 1B, to be there to take some pressure off of him. And the understanding was going in that there would be a lot less games for Carey Price next season if Jake Allen and him were to continue to be a partnership. So I understand why Price would want to keep Jake Allen and the perception that he's helping this organization out, either by giving them cap flexibility down the road. Like you said, there's no bitter divorce coming at the end, and it's not an albatross on, you know, Montreal's cap in three, four, five years, whatever the case is. But I I just, (laughs) I didn't think this would be something we'd be talking about personally. Like, that's the one thing that just shocked me about all of this is the fact that like I thought we'd be talking about okay, do you take Vladimir Tarasenko? Do they go after you know Gabriel Landeskog and maybe give him a massive contract to leave Colorado as a UFA? Like I thought there'd be a whole lot other other talking points other than Carey Price going to Washington uh, State. And I do still wonder like I'm the only person that we've heard from from the Price family is his wife that put out that kind of cryptic IG post tweet. Scott, that was like, well, all things will be f- figured out. Like, we'll we'll know what's going to be happening sooner or later. But it's like, hmm, does she want to go back home? Is it being closer to, you know, her parents, in-laws with small kids, be appealing to them too. Like, there's just so many layers to this that uh, I did not think we'd be talking about ahead of the expansion draft.
2: Had this one come in. Have you heard the Montreal Canadiens are rumored to be exploring to offer sheet Elias Pedersen if Carey Price is taken by the Seattle Kraken. Sean Warren is reporting. That comes from Delivery Guy Matt. I saw that last night. It caused Canucks Twitter... To... Oh, I didn't see that one. Oh, yeah, it caused Canucks <laughs> Twitter to, to talk about it for a while. Look, here's where I'm at with offer sheets. I'll believe them when I see them. I'll believe them when I see them. Is Mark Bergevin the type of GM who would do something a little off the radar? Yeah, he absolutely would, and we know that he offer sheeted Sebastian Ajo. He also didn't offer she- sheet Sebastian Ajo to the point where it was actually going to be Will walk away from our player? Would he consider doing something like that to get Elias Pettersson? I have no idea. I will chalk it up to speculation. I'm not suggesting that people haven't talked about it. I just don't know that Mark Bergevin is sharing that type of info with hockey insiders right now because none of us saw Carey Price being exposed in the expansion no. draft. So, Mark Bergevin, he is he is the kind of guy who can do a bunch of different things. I want to ask this question early. I want to get your responses to it. Because we asked it on Twitter, and we've had a lot of people weigh in, and it's running about 50-50 right now, which I find interesting. Mm -hmm. What are you more more interested in this week? Are you more interested in the expansion draft or the NHL entry draft? They happen within two days of each other, and part of this, Karen, is gauging whether you're interested in the league at large and chaos theory more or honing in on your own team because we know that – there are first round picks that are in the top 15 for both the Vancouver and Calgary market. And people are often very concerned. What what's happening with my team? I care Mm -hmm. less about the league than I do about my team. So which are you more interested in this week, the expansion draft or the NHL entry draft?
3: Personally, uh, I'm all about chaos theory, so I'm all about the expansion draft just because I want to see which direction Seattle goes. There's so many questions now that Carey Price is out there, the anticipation of what could go down. Um, You know, you want to see what Ron Francis is going to do. Take some veteran players with some contracts, Scott. Is he going to help some teams out cap-related-wise? Is he going to make some deals for players to stay with his team? How many... You know, does he go after, I said earlier, Gabriel Landeskop, Does he make a splash with that? I understand why maybe Calgary Flames fans would be more the expansion draft. I think it's pretty expected that we know what's going to happen with Calgary. There still could be something happening with Brad Treliving and Ron Francis and maybe keeping Mark Giordano. But I think the consensus is got from the Calgary fan base is, okay, Like we're going to likely lose Mark Giordano. Now it goes to, you know, what's this 13 overall pick going to be? The 12th player selected in the NHL entry draft. Like, what kind of player are we going to get that could help us in the future? So I understand that for Calgary personally, if that's voting for the for the entry draft. But for me, like the entry draft really isn't... It is because it's my job, but it's not on my radar because this expansion draft is first and then it's the entry draft. Like, I do feel a little bad for some of these prospects because the year that they had, they didn't get to showcase their stuff. And now they're being almost overshadowed by the expansion draft first. And then Thursday, yeah, we talk about the expansion draft. And then Friday, we actually turn to the prospects. So I don't know about you, but for me, it is all about what's going to happen tomorrow.
2: Well, it is the expansion draft for me, and that's nothing against the young players who are coming into this league, and some of them we'll see next season, but very few most likely, and that generally is part of my answer. NHL draft picks don't have immediate impact. They do in the two to three years after when we're talking about high-end prospects and the odd Mm -hmm. player who surprises from later rounds, but we're not going to see most of them next season. The vast majority are going to be playing elsewhere. So that's a part of it. It's an exciting day. It's fun. You get to have all of that optimism about ceiling, and you never worry about floor, and you never think, well, this isn't going to pan out. So it's a lot of fun, but we also see it annually. We only get to see these every so often. And, yes, it feels like it's pretty soon after Vegas, and relative to other expansions, I suppose it is. But everything that happens on Wednesday changes things Thursday and potentially Friday as well. And so that's part Mm -hmm. of my answer on the expansion draft. Depending on who Seattle selects, depending on side deals that are cut, depending on the interest other teams have in players Seattle could potentially select. Vladimir Tarasenko, for example. If -hmm. Vladimir Tarasenko is selected by Seattle, he's not staying in Seattle. There are multiple reports out there indicating that. So does Seattle take on Tarasenko, eat a bunch of money, whatever that percentage is, and then flip him somewhere else? And if so, what does that return look like? There are a lot of compelling questions that come out of Wednesday, Mm -hmm. more so than come out of what happens on Friday and Saturday. So that is a big part of the reason for me. Plus, I think Seattle is going to knock this out of the park from from a television standpoint as well, if any of the scenes and rumors and rumblings we're seeing around social media are any indication.
3: Uh, yeah, they are preparing for a pretty star-studded event. We saw the list of the people that are going to be uh, announcing some of the these uh, draft picks, Scott. We saw some of the big names from the Seattle area that they've called in. There's going to be some players that are going to be in person. So I'm like, I'm wondering, some players must know today. Obviously, if they're going to be in the Seattle expansion draft, they have to keep it close to the chest, obviously. Some players will be told tomorrow morning as well. Players will be told tomorrow morning, but I'm guessing some already know or are there. We've seen some leaked videos of the fish market. And for those that haven't been to Seattle, Pike Place Market, they throw the fish. You probably all know it from either the Macklemore song. By the way, <laughs> I heard that discussion yesterday with Jamie. Really? Downtown? He doesn't know that song? It's like one of the most popular songs out there that's come out in the last five, six years. Come on, Jamie. Uh, he's not on the show today, so I can't really make fun of him because he can't defend himself. But it's it looks like with Jerry Bruckheimer and Disney, who owns ESPN, coming together on this presentation, you are going to see something tomorrow that you have never seen. Vegas was fun, but it was just guys sitting on a, on a stage, Scott. That's all it was. Like, this is going to be vicinities around the Seattle area, the who's is and who isn't a uh, part of Seattle. Like it's going to be pretty awesome tomorrow. I'm excited for it.
2: Approximately 5,000 fans are going to be live in attendance. We've seen those scenes like you mentioned with Kevin Weeks catching a fish that has Leafs Twitter a buzz because in, oh the, in the practice video when the fish gets thrown and they're talking about the Leafs and I don't know who shot this on their iPhone, but it's out there right now on social media. It's Alex Kerfoot who's selected, which has been the most obvious rumor connected to the Leafs. Now, things have changed a little because of the acquisition of Jared McCann and the thought that maybe they want to go Travis Dermott, a defenseman that Dave Haxtell would be very familiar with as well. There are three players that most believe it will be one of those three from Toronto. But as soon as you have the announcement of Alex Kerfoot in what is a practice video, Leafs Twitter gets a buzz and, oh, is this leaked information? Do we already know who's being selected?
3: Like, here's the thing. A lot of these things are going to be different versions of this are going to be uh, <laughs> practice gun. I do like, though, how it's the Kerfoot one that's leaked. And now it's like, could you imagine 590 right now? Sportsnet 590 in Toronto in the media right now. Just like, okay, how... Like sure was he as he said it can we read anything into the tone in his voice Scott is it going to be for sure Alex Kerfoot the insiders right now are on the phone with Kyle Dubas and those people they know in Toronto with the Maple Leafs trying to figure out if this is actually going to happen can we get this out first like I can only imagine what things are going on in Toronto right now but it's, it's going to be fun like that's the whole thing the way that the Seattle it's been years in the making Scott we're coming through a pandemic there's light hopefully on the other side we've seen it with restrictions being released so so they're gonna go big they're gonna go bold and I think it's gonna be it's gonna be an awesome made for TV spectacular event
2: it should be fun I'm really looking forward to it there are rumors that maybe some of the players not all 30 are going to be there but some of the players mm-hmm. apparently are going to be there and There are rumors that maybe one would arrive and come out of a float plane, like the different things you can do with the physical geography of Seattle and what sets it apart from other NHL cities. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. I'm really interested to see what it looks like. I vote expansion draft. We'll get to some of your texts as well. 960-960-650-650. Dale in Maple Ridge says, I'm very interested in the Wednesday outcome, but as a Canucks fan, Friday and Saturday and expected trades, plural, is my focus. So there's Dale saying, actually, mm-hmm. I'm mostly interested in my team. The expansion draft, more players we know about. The expansion draft is always a bit exciting, but this year it's more of a crapshoot than ever. That comes in from Christian.
3: Yeah, I think he meant the uh, entry draft is a bit, always a bit more exciting. I think Christian may have uh, misspelled on that one because of the fact that this year, like has got the lead up to ex- the entry drafts is always, what, it's like a a month long. Once you know where you're going to be drafting, or if you know your team's not in the playoffs, you kind of start speculating where you're going to draft, what positional need do you do, do you take, do you need to just draft the best player available, is there a consensus number one overall pick? And, I mean, generally speaking, if you talk to most people, there is a consensus overall, first overall pick in Owen Power, but, you know, he could be going back to Minnesota, or, sorry, Michigan next year. Like, there's so much... Unknown uncertainty around this draft and the fact that we just you and I like scouts have tape on these guys but you and I or just the everyday person hasn't seen a ton of stuff and seen these guys play this year so I do think the uncertainty with the entry draft from the COVID season just leads me towards the expansion draft and and to your point which is fair like the trickle-down effects from what happens tomorrow will lead into Friday as well
2: We are going to have a prospect from this year's entry draft on in the third hour of the program today. And he is a very highly touted prospect. He is Kent Johnson. He is among those top players from the University of Michigan who are expected to go in the top ten. Kent Johnson, he could be sitting there when the Vancouver Canucks draft at nine. That's in and around where he's projected. We'll talk to him in a couple hours' time. Should be fun. This news came in today. I'm not sure how many of our listeners have done reading on Logan Mayu or not. He renounced himself from the draft. This is a very controversial figure right now in hockey. It's not before multiple stories have come out about his behavior, including one that quotes the victim involved. If you don't know anything about Logan Mayu, he was a projected first-round talent. That doesn't mean those players always go in the first round, but he's a projected first-round talent. OHL player, because that league shut down, he went over to Sweden this year and decided to play there. Well, back in November, he was found guilty of taking a photo of a woman performing a sex act. That photo was taken without her consent. He then circulated it among some of his teammates. He was found guilty of that in Sweden. So an invasion of privacy and defamation it's a conviction that results in a fine but also one that goes on your record as well these stories have come out a lot of teams apparently had taken him off their draft board long before this because they knew about this others have since taken him off the board there's a story out there in the athletic very good reporting from katie strang and one of her colleagues who i can't recall at this time that has quotes from the victim saying look all i wanted was a a heartfelt apology at the time, and I just wanted it written because I didn't want to see him again. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like that came, so here we are. That's where we're at right now. The player is now taking himself out of the draft. It's the second time in a year that we have seen widespread social pressure from fans that has led to either the renouncing of rights, in the case of Mitchell Miller, who was drafted by the Arizona Coyotes last year, and then found out to be that player who had bullied uh, a- Right disadvantaged um, child Mm -hmm. along the way. And there had been racist accusations as well. He was a fourth round pick of Arizona. They ended up backtracking, renouncing his rights. Now we've got this as well with Logan Mayu. Look, I don't have any problem with the story that's come out. This is something he's done. I know that there's going to be that counter argument. We saw it with Mitchell Miller as well. There'll be that person out there that says, well, should this cost someone his career? The young woman's quote in this piece is very clear. It's not her action that is costing Logan Mayu his career if, in fact, this costs him. It's his action. Mm -hmm. It's the consequences that come with him. But I do find it interesting that people are demanding more now, and that's not a bad thing. And you are responsible for your actions, and that doesn't mean that no second chance will ever be given, Karen, but you have to earn your second chance. We are past the days of people just looking past the such incidents and saying, well, these things happen, but there's something more important out there in terms of a career. And that's a very good thing, in my opinion.
3: I understand the thought of, in certain cases, second chances. I do and learning from this but this is a serious accusation and someone who decided to take this picture and felt it was in, within his right without the female's consent to release it to some teammates and show some teammates like this is a very it could I could only imagine how this woman felt having the image circulated. Out there, And the fact that she wanted an apology, didn't want to see him again because she couldn't, you know, she couldn't handle seeing him and just wanted a written apology. And he still decided to go out and do this. So I'm glad it came to light. I'm glad that NHL teams took him off their draft board and he put out some sort of apology today Scott he did say I know it will take some time for society to build back the trust I have lost and that is why I think it's best that I renounce myself from the 2021 NHL draft and ask that no one select me this upcoming weekend I feel that this would allow me the opportunity to demonstrate an adequate level of maturity and character next season with the London Knights in the OHL and provide all NHL teams the opportunity to reassess my character towards the 2022 NHL draft gonna take a lot for him to build that back and he's gonna to have to show and maybe some team next draft takes a flyer on him Scott because he has shown remorse and a level of maturity but he was also found guilty of this and it stays with him and it's something that will always he'll have are circulated around his name so I don't have an opinion on whether or not he should be drafted next year but I appreciate the fact that some NHL teams or most however many the cases did take them off their their draft board because this is a incredibly serious accusation and the fact he's found guilty. Act, I should say. Act, not accusation.
2: We all make mistakes, some larger than others, and those mistakes come with consequences. There is a road back, but hard work has to be done. It can't be simply, yep, I'm a good person now. Let's move on. Hey, maybe this is an isolated mistake. The player hopefully will learn from this, become a better person, and build himself back into what he believes is going to be a National Hockey League player. Someone said it was sure nice of his agent to write that apology (laughs) for him. Yep, I understand the cynicism there, and it's a fair comment right now, given the way that the story's unfolded and the timeline with the story. We'll see where it goes from here. I thought it was an important one to mention as people start to prep themselves for the entry draft and what's going to happen with your team coming up on Friday. Should the Seattle Kraken select Carey Price? We will ask a former professional goaltender his opinion on that. Mike McKenna joins us next, as he does every single Tuesday on Rintoul & Sermon.
0: Now back to Rintoul & Sermon.
2: Preseason schedules are starting to come out today around the National Hockey League. We saw Seattle's get released last week, so we kind of knew where yep. Vancouver and Calgary and Edmonton would factor into that. Those are the only three teams Seattle is going to see in the preseason. That's pretty common. Karen, geography often dictates yep. these schedules.
3: Yeah, stay within your uh, area, easier travel, Scott. Uh, looks like... Flames and Canucks will battle in Abbotsford on September 27th. Scott, Edmonton uh, plays Calgary on the 26th. They'll also play Vancouver and uh, Vancouver and Calgary on October 1st. Uh, looks like also, too, the Vancouver Canucks are going to hold their training camp in Abbotsford. Scott, give a little kudos to where the AHL franchise is being played this season.
2: You know, I'm a big proponent of this. I'm a big proponent of every pro team taking... Exhibition games to broader markets. I think it's a great idea. Not every single game is going to be there. Vancouver is going to play a bunch at home. I personally mm-hmm. would prefer to see teams do what Seattle is doing and move those games around Washington State, expose your product to a different part of the market. But I will continue to advocate for that. This is a small step in the right direction. You know what it is more than anything to me? It's a reminder of how close this is, Karen. We are two months and a week away from the preseason schedule kicking off. And last season we talked about how quickly the offseason was going to go. Well, this one's going to be much quicker. Much quicker. We're so caught up right now in the expansion draft, understandably so. Entry draft goes later this week. Next week, free agency hits. And then all of a sudden you look up and you say, it's not going to be long before players are coming into their home markets and skating yeah. together and getting those group skates going. Like this is going to happen super quickly.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you and I have, uh, as most people do have some holidays coming up, Scott, and it's like, okay, when we get back from those, it's go time, uh, when it comes to the NHL season and to think that we're going to get, I believe the schedule is coming out tomorrow and it's going to include from what we understand from reporting from Greg wasinski with ESPN that, it's going to include an Olympic break. Hopefully cross our fingers that that's going to happen next year. But it's it's going to be nice to see a schedule and put it all into into context. Because the expectations, the hope is too, is like when October rolls around, butts and seats, whether it be full, 50, whatever it is. Whatever percent capacity, like that's what the hope is. Come October, things are trending in the right direction in this country, in the United States. Well, there's questions about that, but still, they will have everything open. It just shows that, you know, we're trending in a direction to get back to hopefully a normal society next year, a normal looking season, unlike we've had the past two years.
2: What a wild week, really, when you step back and look at it, and we are really focused in on what's happening in hockey. We know that's the bread and butter for Canadian markets. But when you step back just for a second, Karen, We've got the specter of the expansion draft. We've got an NBA Finals that could wrap up tonight. If not, it's yep. going to wrap up later this week. We've got an NHL entry draft. we got the Olympics opening. This is all happening
3: within four days. It's a busy time. Considering it's usually a non-busy time of the year. Usually July, end of July is like a dead zone for sports coverage. You talk about baseball, but it's like, you know, the middle of the baseball season. I know it's leading up to the uh, trade deadline, Scott, but it's still, it's, No offense to baseball, but it's a 162-game marathon, so it kind of loses a little bit in the middle of the summer. Normally, we'd have CFL to talk about, but we all know why that's been pushed back, and we'll start to get way more into that in the next couple of weeks. But it's pretty nice to have a lot of fun NHL stuff to talk about that is tangible right now, right? Like, not just speculation to down the road. It's tangible stuff that we can grasp onto.
2: Yeah, and it's hypothetical for at least one more day when it comes to the Seattle expansion draft, which is where we'll begin with former professional goaltender, television analyst for NHL hockey as well, Mike McKenna joining us here as he does every Tuesday. Mike, thank you very much for doing this on the eve of the expansion draft. How are you?
1: Well, I'm good. It seems like the world's been spinning at an incredible rate. I mean, it's kind of like the Dumb and Dumbers scene where uh, I can't remember whether it's Lloyd Christmas or Harry Dunn. I believe it's Lloyd who's fake running as they drive the mutt cut mobile away from the scene of the crime. Uh, that's what I feel like right now. You're running at an incredible pace, but you're not, you're just in a car moving. That's what well, it feels
2: like. Maybe those multi millionaires, billionaires who all went up to space caused the world to spin at an even higher <laughs> rate. Maybe they threw some sick, sticky stuff on the planet. Like they did in major league baseball and the spin rate is up, but we got to begin with the most obvious of questions. Let's get right to it. Should the Seattle crack and select Kerry price in the expansion draft?
1: I think they should, but I think it matters more so what the Kraken think. Is it Kraken or Kraken? We're going to go Kraken. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Check my name off the list for anything that I can't say Kraken properly. But uh, I, I think – how many times do you get a goaltender like this available to you? A- and you think about how Marc-Andre Fleury was a defining moment for the Vegas Golden Knights when they took him, what he meant to that city. You have that same chance with Carey Price. I can't. You can't look at the cap hit for an expansion club right now. I, I just don't think you can, especially after you saw two teams with huge cap hits and goaltenders go to the Stanley Cup finals. What I think this is going to be predicated upon is, one, if Ron Francis, who in his past has never spent big on goaltenders, is he willing to do that for Carey Price? Will he let his cap hit be eaten up by him? And second, where do they see their team headed? Do they think they're two or three years away from being a cup contender? Do they think they can do it out of the gate? If you think that your team, the Seattle Kraken, has an opportunity to contend for the Stanley Cup, just like the Vegas Golden Knights did that first season, you have to take Carey Price. You can't depend on goaltenders who aren't proven, who beyond being either a backup or somebody with some ceiling and runway ahead of them you got a proven guy available i think if you think you can win the cup you got to take him
2: all right we know they're taking chris Dreger. pretty strong speculation about the deal that he's going to sign as soon as he can have that deal signed by seattle and that'll be the pick from the florida panthers whether it's Carey price or someone else as his goaltending mate in seattle what do you believe that chris Dreger can be in the national hockey league
1: I'm still not sure on Chris, and I really admire what he's done, especially knowing what he went through with the Ottawa organization, being cast aside, not getting the help he really deserved for a couple of years. Uh, He's somebody who, when I watched him and played against him, thought, this is a guy who's got a chance to do this, but he never got a whole lot of help when he was in Binghamton. Those teams were awful, especially uh, the second full season that he spent there. The first season wasn't too bad, and he performed pretty well. Uh and then he again he kind of gets cast aside. He has to go to the ECHL. I mean, we're only two, three seasons removed from him playing significant games in the ECHL. Uh, you know, he, he plays well for the Springfield Thunderbirds and gets a chance with the Florida Panthers. Well, he didn't get a chance, he ran with it. Uh, he was excellent the past two seasons. He well outplayed Sergei Pobrovsky, uh in terms of his numbers, uh, win-loss, pretty good as well. So I, I think it's a big credit to the work that the Panthers did with him, especially Leo Luongo in Springfield in the the time that he had to turn his game and then go to Florida, Rob Tallis, the same way working with him. I'm just not sure if we've seen lightning in a bottle for 35 games from Chris Drieser or if we've seen the real deal. I think it's early to give him a long-term contract. I think it's somebody who's, to me, would have to prove it and earn it once again over the course of a season, because I think you really need 40 to 50 games before you know what you have at the NHL level. But I do like his upside, and I do think that he's a goaltender at 27 that could grow into being a solid 1B, uh, potentially 1A if he keeps it rolling.
3: So if they don't go with Carey Price, Mike, say it's just, it's, you know, they, they look at the money and they say, no, we're just not willing to do it, or health-wise, whatever reason is, they just mm-hmm. don't decide. You could go a de- couple of different directions if you're Ron Francis. I mean, you could go the veteran route with Dreger and that's Brayden Holtby from Vancouver, or that's Jonathan Quick from um, LA, two, both, who have won the Stanley Cup. Or you could go young. I mean, you could do both, obviously. But what do you think d- would be the best ideal to pair with a Chris Dreger Sorry.
1: Well, I think you have to take the best goalie you possibly can. You know, you're not looking at a veteran versus a young guy. Chris Dreger's 27 years old. He doesn't need a mentor at the NHL level, if you're asking me. I, I think that he's he's going to be who he is regardless. He knows what it takes to play pro hockey. It's not like he's 21 years old and he's figuring out how to cook, you know, chicken breasts in a pan when mm-hmm. he's home. This guy can handle it. Handle it. <laughs> um, but I, I think you have to look at the best goalie available, and you have to look at somebody, in my eyes, if you're building a franchise that, again, has some future to them, if that's what you're doing. I mean, Carey Price has years left on his contract. There's future mm-hmm. there. Braden Holtby, I, I don't like where his game is. I, I haven't liked it for two and a half seasons. Jonathan Quick, I haven't seen anything update in his game since 2012. You know, those are two goaltenders that, frankly, I wouldn't touch. I would go right to Kapokakkanen in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's somebody whose athleticism is Far greater than a lot of young goaltenders, and to me, he he's on the cusp of really turning into what you'd want. He's a reigning American Hockey League goalie of the year. Leading into this past season, he had a really good full rookie campaign with Minnesota. Um, I think he's got a really high ceiling. Seeing his explosiveness, uh, the technical base he has, there are things I'd like to see refined. At times, he's a little over aggressive, but I, I think Kakanen, to me is somebody that. Definitely has number one potential in the NHL and could easily end up filling that role in a year or two.
3: And another option, I suppose, could be the Vitek Venisek out of uh, Washington. What did you see from him in his uh, campaign last year? He basically split the net to a point and then obviously not in the playoffs. But what uh, did you see from him? Can he be someone that Ron Francis might look at?
1: I think so. I mean, I've seen Vitek for a lot of years. You know, it took him a long time to get to the NHL. Um, his first couple seasons in the American League were okay. Uh, he he was an All Star in that league a couple of times, I believe, and then did have a pretty nice season in Washington. Um, I'm just not as hot on him in general. I, I like him as a goaltender. I don't see him as a number one in the NHL. And if you're going with Dreger, who's again 35 games or 41 games of NHL experience, not many in the past couple of years. I, I would still want somebody who. I feel, can grow into your number one. I'm not sure Vanacek fits mm-hmm. that mold. I do like him, um, but I even look almost to, you know, look at Stolarz. That's somebody who it, it may be on the same par in terms of Vanacek. So there are goaltenders out there. Johansson's available, who was, in,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, who was in Colorado. So there's goalies available. I like Vanacek. I'm just not sure if he fills that role, especially if is going to be the other guy.
2: Mike McKenna joins us every single Tuesday. He does so again today ahead of the expansion draft, which takes place in Seattle tomorrow. A bunch of teams got out in front of this. Let's talk about the biggest deal that went down on Saturday. It took three teams. Ryan Ellis ends up in Philly. He's spoken today. Philip Myers, Cody Glass go to Nashville. Nolan Patrick makes his way to Vegas. You are very familiar with all of these organizations and the players involved. What did you make of that deal in particular?
1: Well, I'm just shocked at the moves Nashville continues to make, frankly. Um, I I don't know how you can – listen, Cody Glass had a chance in Vegas. He got to play minutes this year with Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone, and it was a quote that Pete DeBoer had in the postseason afterwards saying, there's one thing about this organization, you're going to get a chance. And Glass had that chance. Now, he missed a full year. Uh, almost an entire season coming off an injury or an entire off season. And that was hard on him for sure. But I I haven't seen the willingness to go to the middle of the ice, to play in hard areas. And and frankly, haven't even seen the playmaking that's supposed to be there, especially five on five. So I don't know what Nashville thinks they're getting other than a rebuild. Um, If they think glass can be a first or second line center, it would surprise me if he could play there. Maybe he does. Maybe he turns it around. I'd like to see it. He's a nice kid. Um, but even when he went to the American Hockey League, that's where you go to dominate. And that didn't happen. Body language wasn't great. Um, but I think for Vegas, this is a good move. I mean, I played with Nolan Patrick in in Philadelphia. And when I was there, he was really starting to come into his own, playing really well. And then the injuries set in. I think Patrick can still be a first or second line centerman in the league. I really do forward. I, he can play. He can skate. He, he does have good vision and skill set. Uh, and to me, he's a proven commodity. Even though over the past two seasons, it hasn't been really what you would hope. Obviously, nine points in 52 games last year isn't what you'd expect. But... Um, if he can get back to where he was, I think his his top end is high. I just don't know coming off those injuries where it's going to be. And I, and I love Ellis in Philly. You know they've been trying to find somebody ever since Niskanen, uh or, or sorry, yeah Niskanen took off there. Th- there's been a hole, and I, I think that when you're looking for somebody to come in take that spot, it, it makes a big difference. So we'll see. I I think that everybody here is kind of reshuffling the deck in a lot of ways, and. Patrick, love it. Glass going to Nashville, I'm not sure what they're going to get out of it. And, and Ellis Ellison Philly just looks great to me.
2: Dallas made a deal sending Jason Dickinson to Vancouver. Most people like the move. They like the fit. They like the price. They think it's a tidy piece of business. The other move that Dallas made didn't involve a trade. It involved paying Miro Haskinen. And, boy, did they pay him. And most people feel that is very deserved as well. Eight times, 845 if that's the case, what should Kale McCarr be asking for in Colorado on term?
1: Well, if, Kyle McCarr, if Kale McCarr is going for term uh, eight years, I mean, he's going to be north of Heiskanen. He's going to be north of Shabbat. Because uh, those two, to me, are very similar deals. Those are two young players who were linchpin lynchpin number ones for an organization, and they're both in the eight range. Uh, and, of course, Heiskanen's deal also comes in, in Texas, where if you have residency, it's going to save you on tax. But I think for McCarr, I mean, how can you not look for 10 mil plus? I don't know if you're going to get it. I don't know if you're going to get an eight-year deal at that figure. But when you start looking at comparables and what – I mean, he he's demonstrably better than Heiskinen last year by a long shot. Kale McCarr can't be under $9.5 bucks if Heiskinen just got that deal. He just can't be. Uh, so if you're looking term, that's what I'd expect. Does he go to a bridge deal? Maybe that's a different story, but uh, to me – For the Colorado Avalanche, Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, those are your two linchpins. You have to have them. Uh, And and I think McCarr is definitely in a position of power when it comes to his negotiation.
2: Quinn Hughes seems more likely for a bridge deal in Vancouver. Most people think that both Pedersen and Hughes, I'm not sure which term each gets, but most think they're going to be bridge deals. There is more speculation around Hughes' with regards to longer term than Pedersen right now. How do you view Quinn Hughes relative to Haskinen and Makar?
1: It's so hard to pin because, listen, Quinn Hughes is a a huge, huge talent. When you're trying to find somebody to move the puck in the NHL from the back end, that's somebody you're going to look at and, and constantly go back to. The question is, can he keep up defensively in the league? That's a real question mark for me. I look at Adam Fox. I look at Kale McCarr. These are plus players and big-time plus players. And I understand that they've been on good teams. The Rangers have been okay. Obviously, Colorado, very good. But Vancouver hasn't been horrendous over the time frame that Hughes has been there. And the, the negative totals just pile up. What do you look to to justify if he can be a defender you can trust on the ice? To me, he's going to put up, he's going to get the same deal as Heiskanen at the very least. I can't say how he doesn't, um, but I don't know if it's anything beyond that. I I think Hughes is actually a very good comparable for Heiskanen. And then I also, if I'm Vancouver, I don't know if I go full term if I can avoid it. I, I love what he's done in his first two years. I think there's still some trepidation there as to what that may look like in a couple of years. So, I'm very curious to see on Hughes. I think the dollar figure should be similar to Heiskinen, but term, that's what I'm not sure of.
3: Julian Brisebois, Mike, had some big questions ahead of the expansion list, uh, protection lists on the weekend. And uh, probably the names that we expected out there are out there. Yanni Gord, Alex Kalarn, Andre Palat, Tyler Johnson, if you want to add him in there. If you were Seattle, are there one of those players that you're leaning towards, towards uh, to taking uh, tomorrow night?
1: Yanni Gord. I don't see how they don't take Yanni Gord. I just don't. I I mean, somebody who, not just his points, plays the game so hard. And we were teammates for the Syracuse Crunch. He wasn't a first-line player for us there. He was maybe a second. But he might have been our best player all through playoffs. And that just kept going at the NHL level. You know, 36 points in 56 games last year. He starts to get on track to having one of his highest point totals. He's feisty. He's responsible. He's the type of guy you can build a team around. He's 29, so you're going to have him realistically into his prime for another couple of years. He's in great shape. He's never missed many games. He's been largely healthy. Um, I think he's a great choice. Now, this is a hard one because obviously Cullorn, Palat, I think Palat's sick. Like That guy would be a superstar Mm -hmm. in a lot of cities. But I think Kalorn just came out with some uh, some really, really nice negotiating baseball today um, on his spit and chicklets episode that just came out. <laughs> and he said, I don't want to play anywhere other than Tampa. I want to retire oh. here. I don't want to go to Seattle. And I'll tell you what, that's a pretty smart play on Kalorn's part because if Seattle takes them, they already have a PR nightmare on their hands. Mm-hmm. So Kalorn is just guaranteed that in my eyes, Seattle doesn't take them because you don't want the headache of it, especially when you've got someone like a Gord or Palat available as well. Uh, that was pretty smart by Alex Kalorn. You know, you don't do that. Obviously, he's doing that and saying it because he loves Tampa and he wants to be there. And I love that. That's what all players should want. But you know that quote would hound, hound him forever if he went to Seattle. And people would look for any way to say the first time he has a bad game, they are say, well, he doesn't want to be here anyway. You don't want that as a new organization. You don't want that headache, especially when there's other people available.
2: Okay, here's the thing, though. They don't have to keep the players they take. Carey Price is the exception because he won't waive his no move if he gets there. And I know that there is a modified trade clause that Alex Killorn is has at his disposal as well, but... This is the thing Seattle can do, and it's the leverage they have. There are players they can take, and Vladimir Tarasenko on that list, that if they take yep. him, it doesn't mean they are going to stay in Seattle. Hey, I remember last year Patrick Hornquist saying he wasn't going to report to Florida, and then suddenly that got <laughs> smoothed over, and he was playing for Florida, and he had, a, you know, he had yep. a good role with Joel Quenville there. Things can change once actions are actually taken.
1: Well, they can, and you can also say things to try to leverage a negotiating position. We're not We're not stupid. Like players think – people think that players are just – that's all they do. They can't think. They can't play politics. You know, some of us went to school. Some of us paid attention in high school <laughs> courses. Like you learn how to play political political games while you're playing as well. Uh, and, and, of course, we did see that. Remember Mark Mark Mathock got flipped right away. Uh, there were several people in that draft that did as well. i just not sure I see the value of somebody when you have a, a limited no-trade or no-move clause or a full one. You know, how is this a person that – you're really gonna depend on to be able to move afterwards. We don't know the ins and outs of the side deals that are going on. So Scott, to your point, that's all reality, but we have to kind of look at this from what we see on paper. You know, It's impossible for us to know behind the scene what may have been offered, what might be available. So just looking at it through the lens of the players that are available, this is the direction we go. But to your point also, I I just think that we have to look at this as the Wild West. We don't know what's gonna happen. That's what makes it so intriguing tomorrow. Who gets drafted and traded 10 minutes later? (laughs) You know, We could see that happen. Uh, We just don't know who that may be.
2: I'm looking forward to it. I look forward to our conversations every week at this time as well. Mike, we're out of time once again. Thank you for yours. We'll be talking about what happens over the next few days. It could be wild activity-wise in the National Hockey League, and as a fan, I really hope that's the case.
1: I do too. Next Tuesday is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Thanks, Thanks for having me as always. Thanks, Thank Mike. you.
2: That is Mike McKenna joins us here every single Tuesday, former NHL goaltender, television analyst as well. I'm with Mike. I'm taking Yanni Gord, and part of it has to do with position. It's hard to get centers. And where are we at with Vegas? As good as Vegas has been four years into its NHL existence, mm-hmm. they're still having trouble with the centers. Now, part of that is – they drafted at least one of the right guys, and they traded him away because it with the win-now mode. And Max Pacioretty's been very good for him. Problem is, he doesn't play center. Nick Suzuki does. He looks like he is developing into a star in this league now. Cody Glass, again, I don't know what that negotiation looked like at the time in the Max Pacioretty negotiation right. and, and subsequent trade. Did Mark Bergevin demand Nick Suzuki? Was Vegas higher on Glass because he was the higher of the two first-round picks that they took? I don't know. But now they've traded them both away, and it feels like they bet on the wrong one at the time, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, they it does. And absolutely hindsight, especially with Nick Suzuki and what he's done. And the play like you heard John Cooper's uh, words to him in the handshake line, Scott. He literally said, this was your coming out party. Put your head down, keep working. You're going to be a star in this league. Like, I mean, if someone of John Cooper who has the talent on his roster understands what he saw in Nick Suzuki, I think Vegas is going, yeah, we'd like to have that player back, but probably also still have Max Pacioretty in the deal and on our roster. I'm with you. Take the center. I loved what I saw from Yanni Gore. That line was incredible. Now the line that was incredible and the situation that he was in and the position that he was put in by Tampa Bay could be a third line checking center but still go to those rough areas he's he reminds me a bit of like the Brendan Gallagher type player you know he's gritty heart and soul and that's something that you can sell as a team as well so I go with um Yanni Gord but someone in our in our inbox did point out you know I wouldn't take him, wouldn't build around him. He's a massive reach. He's on the downward side of his career. That could be the case as well. But I do like just the style of player uh, can move up and down the lineup. And I think, to your point, that just centers are so valuable uh, in building a roster. And you can move a center to a wing if you have too many of them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going with Yanni Gord on that one.
2: Yeah, I would take him just because there aren't a lot of high-end centers available. I'm not suggesting for a second he's a number one center. I believe Yanni Gord is a number two center on many teams, on Tampa Bay, that's not what he is. But Tampa Bay is the deepest team in the NHL, as we have discussed time and time again. And to Minor Matt, who says, I take Palat, flip him at the deadline. You can take Yanni Gordon, flip him if you see fit as well. And maybe it is for a younger asset. Maybe it is to a team that wants to win now as opposed to what Seattle is going to do Boy, it's going to be fun tomorrow night. I'm super excited about this. We can continue to ask you to vote as well. You can find us on Twitter at Scott Rintel at Karen Sermon. Karen with an E underscore. Karen underscore Sermon, I should say. Sermon with a U and an A. We both posted that question we're asking today. Are you more excited about the expansion draft? Or are you more excited about the entry draft that comes our way beginning on Friday? Where are we at with Jack Eichel? Elliot Friedman had some interesting things to say on this morning's 31 Thoughts the Podcast, and you'll hear it next right here on Rintool and Sermon.
0: You're listening to Rintool and Sermon.
2: I can't place that song coming in, but it does remind me of a time in the 80s when it was a big deal to think you might get a Casio keyboard if you were into music and make your own music.
3: A Casio keyboard? Okay, Scott. Sure. I'm here to to listen. I'm, I'm not familiar with the Casio keyboard and its popularity in the 80s.
2: Oh, yeah, it was a big deal. If you could get a synthesizer at home, you didn't have to have the whole bulky piano, and it could do all different things as long before auto-tune, of course. <laughs> provide the beat for you. And then this is the strokes, apparently, according to Greg. And Greg, I think, got sunstroke on the weekend. We didn't reveal this yesterday on the show. Oh, I but saw it's a pictures.
3: Nice,
2: it's, a nice, <laughs> it's a nice segue into it. Greg, <laughs> I teased this all of yesterday, and we were so overwhelmed with the response about Carey Price, the expansion draft, and everything that I didn't get the chance to allow you to share your story. So now you've shared this on social media. You might as well tell our listeners what you did and what happened to you in the sun on the weekend.
4: Well, I didn't get heat stroke. I I lucked out there because I had SPF 60 on my face and arms, Uh, but I used spray on uh, suntan (laughs) uh, sun lotion on the rest of my body, and it did not go as well and it's something I'm sure you're very familiar with, Scotty, in terms of receiving a sunburn after a long day out at the lake. I was on the island near beautiful Lake Cowichan on a tube. And uh, yeah, I, I basically microwaved my insides is what I've been telling people because uh, it's probably the worst sunburn I've ever had, for sure.
3: How's the pain? Like, is it really? is it really bad? Can you it- wear pants at all or is it I mean you can wear shorts I understand like just
4: I can wear pants I can't have anything in my pockets right now because of the uh, touching on the leg is still a little too tender um but I, I think I escaped I think I escaped. I'm glad you guys find my pain so hilarious but, uh, were you wearing speedos like why no, is there so much upper thigh I just had pain? I just had my swim trunks on and it, you can see a clear line where the swim trunks ended um where where it turns very pink uh, but, yeah, it was not fun. I don't recommend that type of sunburn for anyone. I am I am extremely pale, if anybody knows me. Uh, I have Scottish mm. heritage, so I, I don't do well in the sun most days. Uh, but uh, this past weekend was especially troubling for m- for my skin. I apologize to that.
2: To be clear, the problem is with the person applying the spray on sunscreen, <laughs> not the spray on sunscreen itself. <laughs> do not wag your finger at me, Miss Sermon. This is with the no, no. applicator, not with the... Uh, not with what is being applied. I have to sunscreen children every single day. I've told many people when the weather is as hot as it is in the summer, I might as well just have sunscreen in the shower head in my home because I need it all the time.
3: No, I'm not wagging my finger. Y'all wag it at me, Scott, because of the fact that you say it's about the application-er. Like, I am one that uses – I never use a spray-on. I'm just – I don't trust it. I feel like I'm going to miss something. I want to know that I'm, you know – rubbing sunscreen into onto my arms wherever and it's I know it's going onto my skin because I'm physically putting on my skin we were at uh, Whistler a couple weeks ago when we had the heat dome in uh, BC and my boyfriend uses the spray on and he did his entire body but I have to do his back so I sprayed his back but we're at the lake and there's some wind that happens you know when you're outside and you're putting those application on outside (laughs) there's an S of white and everything else was red because of how I applied it on his back everything else was fine he didn't have a bird anywhere else but he had an S on his back from where I uh, applied the sunscreen he he now he now like kind of does it himself. He tries to, you know, like contort his arms and put it on himself. He does not trust me whatsoever to apply the sunscreen. I don't blame him, and I felt bad. Like I, I giggle, but I felt really bad because it was painful and it looked painful and it looked funny at the time too. It's since kind of blended in, but <laughs> he's got a wet s on his back. My advice oh, to you:
2: in windy conditions, simply spray the spray on into your hand, then rub it on said body part. If you are helping somebody. This is just my advice to you. He's now apparently a Seattle Kraken fan, as you put a logo on his back. Yes, I did. Which is sadly a segue into the worst burn story of my life, which I will save for later in the show. We don't need to take up any more time here. The worst burn of my life, it does have words, logos, numbers, whatever you want to call it. Oh, no. Involved. Yep, we'll get there a little bit later on. I promise you that. Greg, I feel your pain, buddy. I felt it too many times. Jack Eichel, this is a big conversation piece that's out there right now. Unlikely to be moved here in the next couple days because of the trade freeze, so we can't be until mm-hmm. Thursday at the earliest. Does he get moved for draft picks? Does he get moved this week? Is it going to take a little bit longer this summer? Elliot Friedman had a lot today on Thirty One Thoughts of the Podcast. They talked about Carey Price, which most of us had have done at nauseum for the last couple of days, mm-hmm. and understandably so. It's the biggest question heading into tomorrow's expansion draft, but they also got around to Jack Eichel, who is the biggest trade piece on the market this summer. Here's what Friedman said with regards to where that conversation he believes is at right now.
0: I've heard some teams kind of passing out, and it, it's so tough to say this right now because there's so much bluffing the, the greatest lesson Isaiah Thomas, the first GM I ever covered, was always telling me is around the draft, everybody lies, but it sounds like Anaheim's out. It sounds like LA's out. It sounds like Calgary's out. You know, it can always change. With one phone call, it can change. I think Minnesota's in there, but I think Minnesota has to work with Buffalo or someone else to get a contract out. And I still wonder about the Rangers. Like, I really believe that Chris Drury is a stealth guy. I still wonder about all this.
2: Anaheim, Calgary, L.A., Sounds like they're out, says Friedman, which means somebody in that mix is going New York Rangers and going stealth on this situation as well. When the talk dies down, that's almost when it gets more serious. And Mm -hmm. I'm not taking Friedman's sources and saying they're inaccurate. We've heard a lot about the LA Kings for about a month and a half that they're not in on this. But we all look at the cash of assets they have and we say, this is a possibility. This is one of the teams that could actually be in the running here. Sometimes it's subterfuge, Karen, saying, yeah, we're not in the running to drive the price down, to drive the yeah. ass down, because what have we heard all along? The ask Huge. for Jack Eichel is exorbitant.
3: And if you're Buffalo, I mean, Kevin Adams, you have to ask for that. Your team is in disarray. Like we saw they're protected and not protected list, Scott. I mean, Seattle has to take a player off of that. Like, they just have to because that's what the rules say. But, I mean, they're just their asset pool right now, you have to get something in return, a massive deal. You can't have a PR nightmare like you had with the Taylor Hall trade at the time. So, I do understand why Anaheim and L.A. and Calgary out. Like, if you're Anaheim, are you going to give the third overall pick and, say, a Trevor Zegrest to, and maybe more, to Buffalo for a player that, yes, is a top line center, but how healthy is he? What did the medical reports say? When will he play again? Is he going to undergo surgery? Do you want to mortgage your future? Remember that conversation we had last week about the Blue Jays? Right? It was centered around the Blue Jays. What do they do? Do they go all in? Do they appease these players? How much of the future assets do they mortgage to get better in the now to try and make a push for the playoffs? And we equated that to NHL teams. We talked about Los Angeles. Like they've made some moves to say, okay, the teardown's over, but the rebuild has started. If you're Anaheim, you're kind of in that same category. You're in, you are in that same category. And how much do you want to accelerate that by losing really key guys that you could potentially see as part of being, you know, future? 10, 12-year players for your team. So I understand that conversation. I've also always said that I do think the Rangers are always in this, and I do think it comes down to what their ownership wants. Like, he's meddling right now, and uh, James Dolan, he's meddling with the team. He wants playoffs. He saw how close they came. He fired the front office. Like, Jury, I can only imagine what he's been tasked with doing with this team, but I do think it is playoffs. And if they have the best package and are – you know, Buffalo's willing to trade within the state, then, yeah, absolutely, I could see him going to New York.
2: Maybe even if they're not willing to trade within the state. And we've seen this before in other deals. When Friedman says the Rangers are stealth, I take that to mean, yeah, they know Buffalo doesn't want to send him to the other side of the state and have him play in the Big Apple, but could they get involved in a three-team deal? Can Jack Eichel go somewhere else That team is simply a holding company, and then Jack Eichel ends up in a different city and ends up acquiring some of those New York Ranger assets. I can absolutely see that. Mike Hoffman is in a different tier of player, but remember, part of the reason Ottawa did not want to send Mike Hoffman to Florida, same division, we're not dealing in our division. Some crucified them for it. Ultimately, where did Mike Hoffman end up? He ended up in Florida because San Jose said, yep, we'll make a deal with you. Oh, by the way, (laughs) we're sending him... Down to Florida, that's what we're going to do. Vegas, it's felt all along like Vegas, if it's going to get in the Jack Eichel conversation, is going to need to use another team because they might not have the young assets. Does that change at all with the acquisition of Nolan Patrick? Does Buffalo, like Nolan Patrick, have less injury concern about that? But I don't know. Vegas is going to continue to sniff around that conversation for sure.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And another name that's out there is Minnesota. And if Scott, you're thinking about it, you know, it's it kind of reminded me of like, well, when Ryan Suter and Zach Parise came. It was going back to the state of hockey and American players, you know, going back to that state and bringing um, legitimacy to that organization. And now they are legitimate and they've got a really young, good superstar in Kirill Kaprizov that they're trying to sign to a longer term deal. Um, You know, do you bring a Jack Eichel and you'll need a third team? If you're Minnesota to help with the cap situation? Does your cap hits down the road make it a difference? Does Jack Eichel want to stay there long term? All those kind of things. But if you're Eichel and you get a chance to go to Minnesota and play with Kaprizov on your wing, like, don't you find that very intriguing for Eichel to move his no-move clause to go there. How much, though, is Minnesota willing to to part with? Uh, I saw out there, you know, Marco Rossi's name being floated around. Of course, he's the prospect who didn't play all last season because of COVID-related complications. But I did see Dan Dunleavy, who works in Buffalo, say, well, He was teammates with Jack Quinn, who was the eighth overall pick in 2020 by the Buffalo Sabres. They do have some chemistry there. They'll know each other. So is that some sort of deal that Minnesota is willing to make? It would be interesting to see him play with Kaprizov, though. I think that would be enticing for Eichel.
2: It would certainly continue the makeover of the image of the Minnesota Wild. We had... Trouble getting away from the, hey, they're the same old, boring Minnesota wild. Mm -hmm. Kaprizov injected this new life, new style. We started to think about them in a different way. They get Jake Eichel. That will certainly help the perception makeover. How do you move the money around? How do you move the money around with the dead cap hits that are coming? I'll tell you, if that deal was was made, I would love to see the cap gymnastics that – Minnesota undergoes in the next couple of years to try to make all of the money work because from a financial standpoint, it's really hard to get your mind wrapped around how they would be able to do that. Let's get to what they're saying. They're saying, don't try to take a sip of tea. You okay? During the intro, I'm good. I'm good. Going to play through it. Going to play through it. (laughs) Alex Kalorn, you heard Mike McKenna reference this earlier on. Alex Kalorn. Just like last year, when his name was out there, how are they going to get under the cap? Who are they going to have to move? Alex Kalorn wants to remain with the Tampa Bay Lightning.
1: I'm so happy in Tampa. Obviously, with with I talked with Julian yesterday, and it was I know he had a tough decision on who he was going to protect and who wasn't going to protect. And um, unfortunately for us, there's like three really good forwards, or there's more than three, but it seems like there's three that they're going to be looking at to pick and. Um, you know, I think for myself, I'd be really unhappy if I left Tampa. I mean i, I plan on retiring here. I really don't want to, to go to Seattle.
3: <laughs> well, negotiating tactic one on one, like Mike uh, McKenna said, it makes sense. You just won two cups." You know, you broke your leg, you didn't get to play in the final few games of the Stanley Cup and you tried so hard to get back to play uh, in the Cup Final. You're going to go in as, you know, you're going to have a chance to win a Stanley Cup again with that team. Like, the likelihood is that's not going to happen in three in a row, but it, you never know, it could. You're going to have... I understand why Alex Killarne doesn't want to go to the Seattle Kraken. It's... I'm surprised he's as adamant as he was in that clip, though. I get not wanting to leave Tampa, but I was I, I thought he'd be more adamant. I don't want to leave Tampa, and then the versus just saying I just don't want to go to Seattle either.
2: Well, Seattle has some control over this, and outside of that, Kalorn gets to exercise some control. Last year, when Julian Breesbaugh apparently had tough conversations with him about the potential for moving, Kalorn said, "I don't want to go," and probably made it difficult with his modified no trade looking at some of the suitors, putting those teams on the list, because not everybody's going to be able to broker the deal, asset-wise or perhaps cap-wise as well. Seattle has ultimate control here. And look, if I'm a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know what I want to do next year, even though we're going to lose some pieces and some have already been lost? I want to try to run this back. I want yeah. to try to do something that hasn't been done since the 1980s by the New York Islanders. I want to see if I can win three in a row. And Alex Kalorn didn't get to be a part of the, the lineup at the end of this series. Mm -hmm. because of the broken fibula, even though he did everything he could to get back. I want to run this thing back for a guy who's been there as long as he has, as long as Stamkos has. I completely get it.
3: Just remind me, does Washington State have state tax? No. There you go. Okay. So I won't use the state tax argument (laughs) from going from Florida State to Washington State. So there's not that. But, yeah, it just makes sense. Like, you love it down there. Look at the weather. You don't have to deal with rain in the winter. And I understand that Seattle is a very uh, appealing target for ufas and a lot of players they want to go to a phenomenally international city but if you've lived in tampa for so long do you want to go to the pacific northwest probably not doesn't make sense
2: might depend on who you are jason dickinson is on his way to the southwest in canada very near the northwest in the states he is <laughs> headed to vancouver excellent interview yesterday on the people show on sportsnet 650 we have another clip mm-hmm. that will bring you a little bit later on in the program That's from more of a hockey standpoint. But Jason Dickinson was among the legions of NHLers who came out yesterday in support of Luke Prokop, the Calgary Mm -hmm. Hitman defenseman, Nashville draft pick, signed by that organization, who came forward yesterday and said, here's my truth, I am gay, and got so much support. Jason Dickinson lent his voice. I found this to be a very interesting clip. Have a listen.
0: It's amazing. I, uh, I hate that he has to out like this and and, uh, be praised for his bravery, you know? I I love that he's doing it, but I I hate that it is something that he has to do because um, it doesn't define him as a hockey player. It it has nothing to do with him as a hockey player, and unfortunately, that's the way it's looked at, and um, I'm glad he's taking the step and making it uh, uh, available for younger players that feel the same way as he does, that they're hiding who they truly are to be able to come out and um, you know live truly as as themselves and and not
2: hide uh, half their life he's got my support I'm just disappointed we're not further ahead in 2021 Mm -hmm. that's the translation
3: (laughs) there's a lot of things that I wish we were further ahead with Scott in 2021 and that being one of them but I do love the the support that he's getting from not just Jason Dickinson, but for the entire NHL. You saw yesterday all of the athletes coming out and NHL players, teams coming out supporting this decision and this announcement. And I just think it it means something for him to have that support and also know that for other people that are maybe hiding their truths and who they are, they have the support of a community. It's not – we've always talked about the fact that there has been – Gay NHL players in the past, but they just have not been able or felt comfortable to come out because they didn't feel it was a safe environment. And the more that we can put this out there and make it a safe environment for people to live their truths, because representation matters. And Luke Prokop, I mean, he's going to be the first one, but hopefully he's not the last because other people feel safe in living who they truly are. And I feel for the kid for how long he was struggling with living who he truly was and had to hide that. And now I love the clip that he says. The next game that I play on the ice is going to be my best game because I'm free. And just can imagine what that feeling's like for somebody, Scott.
2: That is from 31 Thoughts, the podcast. We played a couple of clips yesterday from his extended interview. It's about half an hour and very much worth your time. For anyone who has not mm-hmm. listened to the Luke Prokop 31 Thoughts, the podcast, I suggest you set aside some time today, some time this week. It is excellent, and you will think you are listening to someone who oh. is 38, 42. He is so mature, so mature. Ah. It's incredible to listen to him. It was a great podcast, and it's not the only media he did yesterday, but I would encourage everyone to listen to it.
3: And, you know, it's pretty obvious he feels that he's in a spot because of the maturity that you hear in his voice, got, but he's also got the support system around him, and he feels safe not only from the National Predators but from his family and friends, and he felt like this is something that I'm willing to take on because it is something he has to take on. I mean, we, he's the first... National Hockey League player. I know he's not played a game in the NHL, but he's a draft pick to come out and be actively gay while playing. So he just strikes me as someone that's so well composed and so in tune with who he is now and is willing to just understand the gravity of the moment and willing to be that person. And it just speaks to who he has around him.
2: One more clip in here. As I mentioned, he's 19, but he sounds like he could be over 40 from a perspective yeah. standpoint. Tom Brady is over 40. He's 43, <laughs> in fact. Tampa Bay wins the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay gets to go to the White House, and Tom Brady got to go comedian there.
1: But we found our rhythm. We got on a roll. Not a lot of people uh, you know, think that we could have won. And um, In fact, I think about 40% of the people still don't think we won.
2: and
4: personally you know it's nice for me to be back here we had a game in chicago where i forgot what down it was
0: i lost track of one down in 21 years of playing and they started calling me sleepy tom (laughs) why would they do that for me no
3: your audience Yeah, he knows his
2: audience and maybe trying to make over the political image as he was a pro-Trump supporter back in the day as well. Took some fire for that. Many people didn't believe he took enough because he's Tom Brady and he's America's golden boy, but he had the good lines, didn't he?
3: He did. He knew the audience he was playing for. Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Tom, 40% uh, didn't win. We all know where the Biden and Trump divide is in the United States still to this day. Dave Scott, did he win? Didn't he win? Well, we know he won. But still, it's. I just. You know what? I like the side of Tom Brady. We never got to see this in the past. We talk about these athletes now Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, just guys that we didn't get to see early on in their careers. They were pretty. Um, reserved in what they gave to the media. Now they have the platform for social media and they understand how people gravitate towards them because of that. And then Tom just putting it out there uh, at the White House today. Love it. Love to see that he went because of who was in there. Uh, (laughs) Choosing not to go in the past or at least taking criticism for it. So good on Tom. Know your crowd. Play towards it.
2: If they win tonight... They'll get that invitation as well. They are the Milwaukee Bucks. The NBA Finals could be decided this evening. Just part of our conversation, one that includes relocation. Next with Dieter Kurtenbach of the Bay Area News Group on Rintoul & Sermon.
0: Now back to Rintoul & Sermon.
2: There's more NFL news today, and I do want to dig into the bigger story off the field later in the show, Karen. I tease this off the top, though. We saw this rash Rash of Achilles injuries from the Saskatchewan Roughriders. Mm-hmm. They had four in one day, and there have been some torn Achilles and got us into this torn Achilles discussion. Bad yep. news if you're a Rams fan today. Cam Akers, their sophomore running back, who in the second half of last season really started to come into his own and show the promise that they believed when they yeah. drafted him and really got out to some great games late in the season. Torrey's Achilles training, done for the year. Daryl Henderson would appear to be now the top running back in that backfield. We'll see if they add in coming weeks. That is tough for the young man. It doesn't even occur during training camp. He doesn't even make it there.
3: Yeah, they're set to open camp in a week, Scott. That sucks. Like remember he had that massive game, the wild card game against the Seattle uh, say Kraken. Seattle Seahawks uh, last year. He just tore them up and he was probably gonna take on a bigger role this year because of the fact that you've got you got a new quarterback, Matthew Stafford, and he's trying to get um, well just even matthew stafford to have a running back which is kind of nice for matthew stafford uh coming from detroit to the rams you had to expect he was going to get a bigger workload this year have another breakout season after having a good second half of the season so it just it throws into flux that offense and it sucks just it sucks doing it on your own right before camp's going to happen and we're seeing so many of these soft tissue injuries with um, CFL camps like I hope this is just not a precursor to what we're going to see coming down the road we saw it last year with the NFL hopefully this year players are a little bit more I don't want to say in shape because I don't think that's the right word to use but at least flexible ready to go when camp starts because man I just don't want to see this happening again
2: well and sometimes it's overtraining. sometimes it's enough not enough stretching sometimes it's just not resting uh Achilles that is sore and you need to give it more time off to recover before you get back to training. I have no idea exactly what happened with Cam Akers. Matthew Stafford, by the way, did he not have running backs in Detroit or did he not have good enough coaching and a good enough o line to maximize running backs in Detroit?
3: Do you have a list off the top of your head? Let me, let me, let me.
2: Well, I don't, but on Johnson, <laughs> who's been injured over the last few years, yeah. he broke into the league and looked pretty good. Now, maybe on Johnson's not great, but he looked like he was going pretty good. DeAndre Swift came in last year and looks like he is going to be quite a good running back and had some but big moments last year. And,
3: yeah. um, maybe a combination of all three. Let's just, let's just chop it up to he was in Detroit.
2: Yeah, he was. Reggie Bush went there at one point. Like he was there a long time. It's interesting. Man, the NFC West, not that this is going to form the basis of most of our conversation with Dieter Kurtenbach this morning, but it certainly could. I am so intrigued by this division. I am every year. It's the toughest division in football right now. This injury adds another wrinkle. But, yeah, Stafford winding up in L.A. What happens in year three with... Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury together and the additions Mm -hmm. that the Cardinals have made over the offseason. San Francisco, if it gets healthy again this year, is it a Super Bowl contender once again? Seattle is always good. I see people down in Seattle predicting another massive year for Russell Wilson. So we can have that conversation at any point in time, and I'll be fascinated, but it's not where we're going to start with Dieter Kurtenbach of the Bay Area News Group, who joins us here today for a return engagement. Dieter, thank you very much for doing this. How are you? I'm good, but I'm happy to talk about Russell Wilson if you guys want to. Oh, I know, and so am I. I'm happy to have that conversation any day, but I'm more intrigued as to whether or not Oakland is losing another team. Big vote in Oakland with the city council today. The A's future's up in the air. Where is public sentiment at right now, Dieter, with regards to keeping the A's in Oakland?
0: Uh, It's fairly exhausted. I'd say it probably splits 50-50. Obviously, you're dealing with something that's extremely nuanced when you're dealing with governmental (laughs) agencies the government of the city itself the county um and you know tax zones and certain you know income areas and you know real nuance of of the uh city and county charters and such it's a 12 billion dollar operation so you're getting real into the weeds so most people don't have uh, a full understanding of what the hell is happening if we're being totally honest and even i every day i'm like i'm not sure i got a full grasp on this bad boy but Um, You know, the notion that today is, in fact, uh, you know, a breaking point is completely arbitrary and it's being pushed by the A's as an effort for them to they're trying to get the city of Oakland who has to do this vote, a non-binding resolution, by the way. Um, They're trying to get the city of Oakland to feel pressure so that they give in to the A's demands as it pertains to uh, who will be paying and how they'll be paying for this uh, $12 billion ballpark village area. Of course, uh, $1 billion will actually be going to a ballpark, which tells you where the A's priorities are, uh, as it usually seems with the Oakland A's. <laughs> they've uh, arguably, you know, they say that they've spent more um, in lobbying to make this ballpark happen than they've spent on t- uh, team payroll in any of the years um, ever in the history of the Oakland A's. So uh, it- it's all just a big real estate deal, and I think that a lot of people... Uh, roll their eyes at that. I think that that has broken through to the populace. But at the same time, when you've lost the Raiders and you've lost the Warriors to San Francisco, um, there, is a, there is a a there is just a basal desire to keep the one professional sports team in Oakland or the one major professional sports team in Oakland still around. And I think that that is um, probably what will end up keeping the A's here, though it is, I mean, as much as uh, today doesn't determine if they stay or if they go, it is on
2: the fritz for sure. I suppose the three of us can have a vote, and it can also be non-binding. Probably won't catch as much attention, however. I get, I get non-binding votes all the time in my
0: household, and let me tell you, they're not good for much. Buddy, you and me both, but that's a different
2: conversation <laughs> for a different day. I I am conditioned to actually cheer against most of Oakland's teams. I grew mm-hmm. up a Niners fan, so I don't like the Raiders. I grew up right. a Jays fan, so I didn't like the A's, because they were both really good in the late 80s and early 90s I feel bad for the city of Oakland however Mm -hmm. reading so many stories around this I completely understand why the public is exhausted and saying how are we going to do this when we can't get x y and z right in this conversation I don't know where to to I don't know which side of this to be on from afar Dieter because I feel bad for the sports fans and and that's what I do for a living and at the same time Mm -hmm. it feels like that city needs a lot more
0: Well, yeah, entirely. And there are going to be people on the city council today who vote for it. I mean, the other, the, the, the complicating factors, so many of them, I'm sorry for being so simplistic there, but one complicating factor in this is that the Coliseum site has been deemed totally unworthy by major league baseball and the Oakland A's organization. And so not only is there an argument over if they want to build near the water waterfront in downtown Oakland, um, you know, a lot of people still hold that hope. And I I guess I include myself in this, that, Hey, you know, the, the Coliseum site of which there is more or less a vacant arena right next door, Oracle arena, now the Oakland arena, which the warriors left uh, a few years back, like that is an extremely viable place. Um, The A's are a team that has always, or at least uh, passively always catered to families and folks, you know, driving in with minivans and things like that. Whereas The Giants, with their beautiful downtown right on the waterfront ballpark with absolutely no parking whatsoever, have always catered to you know, the downtown gang and folks wanting to get a drink after work and go into the ball game and all that, people taking, um, you know, the train in and such like that. And I, I, I've always felt like you need a balance of both of those. If you're going to have two teams mm-hmm. in a market, you have to have one for fun and one for show. And uh, the A's want to be the show team. They want they want everything that the uh, San Francisco Giants have gotten and actually a little bit more. And so I, I, I totally side in many ways with the folks that believe that the Coliseum is – the better option because it's more easily uh, accessible via the BART train, the, the, the subway mm-hmm. or around here, more it's right off of a freeway. Uh, You don't have to walk over train tracks. The A's want to build like a gondola in downtown Oakland. It's something that will never actually happen, but this was their solution to the fact that the nearest train stop is more than a mile away from this proposed ballpark. It's all just kind of a mess. And and obviously the fact that there's a ballpark that's already being used with plenty of land around it to build a new one next to it uh, complicates it more. I, I think that the other thing that we need to talk about too, is the Oakland A's could have moved at any juncture. Uh, it's been 20 years of this back and mm-hmm. forth. There have been so many ballpark possibilities and proposals uh, over the last 20-something years that I've legitimately lost count. Like, I, I, I forget two or three of them every time I go through them all. So I won't even try again here. Uh, and then San Jose and Fremont and the town between Oakland and San Jose and all that jazz. They could have left at any juncture. Major League Baseball has never held them to Oakland, except for the fact that this is the fourth largest media market in the United States, uh, except for the fact that uh, when the A's do well and actually spend money on the team, there is a very strong fan base. The East Bay alone is one of the larger media markets in the country, and certainly larger than the vast majority of media markets that the A's would be looking at. Major League Baseball is still a sport that gets most of its money from local television deals, local cable TV deals, where in almost every market, save for Miami, Uh, baseball is the number one show on cable TV every single night. So the A's have been threatening to move to Henderson, Nevada. Uh, Good Mm -hmm. luck with that. Las Vegas is about the 40th largest market in the United States. It is growing indeed, but by the time the Oakland A's get there, they'll probably be the fourth professional sports team and they'll be out in the suburbs. So again, great, great job. Good luck. Uh, By the way, you're going to have to build a dome. So that's going to cost you even more. Uh, And I'm sure Henderson would love to give you as much money as they, is they have in the coffers, but they gave the, uh, the Raiders a ton of money to build a practice facility, so I'm not sure if they have any left, so I don't know if that would stop them. Um, you know, Vancouver would obviously be a great option. Portland says that they have the money for it. Um, I don't believe them. Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina is still Braves' country, and uh, there are questions if anyone would actually want to buy a team or, or move the team to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, the A's say they're not for sale. Nashville has uh, it, been proposed as an option. Uh, again, it it, it remains to be seen if that's a large enough market for Major League Baseball. So when I say the A's could have moved at any time, that includes, I guess, that that includes any moment before this vote and it includes any moment after this vote. But the fact of the matter is Oakland is still probably the best option for this team, all things considered, and they've done all of this work to get close on a ballpark. Um, I just I, I can't imagine a circumstance where they would be dumb enough to leave having come this far. Um, they're also, you know, capable of doing very dumb things, so we'll see.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask you if you were leaning one way or the other, but it seems like at this point it's, you know, it's just hard to pick because, or just Oakland just seems like the more (laughs) viable option at this time. You don't think, though, I understand with the, Mm -hmm. with Vegas and the heat and building a dome or at least a retractable roof for parts of the year, like, it just seems that Vegas wants to be that destination city for teams, but you just don't see that working with Major League Baseball and relocation?
0: Well, listen, Vegas Vegas, and its surrounding suburbs absolutely want to be a destination. Vegas is uh, the boomtown these days, mm-hmm. um, and it's a place that certainly has money for nothing and <laughs> tricks for free. It's, a, uh, it's It wants to be a big-time city. Um, it wants to have all of this stuff, but it isn't. I mean, I was just mm-hmm. there for a couple of days and not just hanging out on the strip. I was everywhere but the strip. It's just not it's just not a city that can handle all these professional sports teams. The Golden Knights have been fantastic um, and the Golden Knights, um, but they were the first ones through the door. The NFL will work in Las Vegas because it will be everybody but Raiders fans at games and you only have to fill up the stadium for eight games a year. Um, We can talk about the cost-benefit analysis of building up a couple billion-dollar stadium for eight games a year, but here we are. It's built. It's actually really spectacular. I don't know why they made it black in the middle of the desert, but here we are. Um, The NBA is going to expand. I have that on decent authority, and they, they need the cash. They'll go to 32 teams, and Las Vegas and Seattle just seem like the most obvious options known to man, and the NBA can sell themselves in Las Vegas because there's going to be enough people walking past the T-Mobile arena on the strip every day that will want to go to a basketball game. It's right there.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: No one wants to go to baseball games in general these days, much less tourists coming in and much less tourists that would have to drive out to Henderson, Nevada, which is the only place where they've been looking for ballparks because apparently Henderson's the only town that wants to build one for them. Um, You know, it's 105 degrees at night there. It's, you know, their minor league team doesn't pull. That's the A's AAA affiliate. just doesn't pull because they're outside at night. Um, unless they want to start the games at 2 a.m., it's it's uncomfortable to be out there. Uh, that that team, by the way, is in the suburbs as well, and that is you know helped a little bit on keeping the baseline numbers up because there is a small season ticket base that they have that they didn't have when they were playing uh, you know closer to downtown in Las Vegas, but. Uh, it's not going to bring in any sort of, you know, third-party fans. There's no one who's just going to casually want to go. The Knights have been killing it because people know that that atmosphere is great. It's really easy to get to if you're in Las Vegas. It's an event. It's a show, just like Celine Dion or any of those other washed-up acts that are on there. Now, the Knights aren't washed up, but, you know, given how they played in the playoffs, maybe we can make that argument. No one's going to want to go see a baseball team that, by the way, won't expand payroll by any stretch, uh will be, you know, 30 miles away from everything. It's just it. It just doesn't make sense. And oh, by the way, the TV money won't won't cancel any of that out because it's the 40th largest media market in the United States. There's just not enough. There's just not enough people to make that really work. So, um, listen, I, I totally understand the skepticism about, you know, the A staying in Oakland. I feel it all the time. And you're dealing with two completely incompetent organizations in the city of Oakland and the Oakland A's. But something has to give at some point. At the same time, it doesn't have to give you know, at that, that some point to be way in the future. It, it doesn't feel as if any of this is truly as imminent as the A's want to make it out to be. They're threatening and they're posturing and they're doing all of this stuff. But the city of Oakland, I think, is calling their bluff. And it doesn't matter what happens tonight, though, if – If they do vote no, it probably exacerbates the situation a little bit more. But uh, by calling their bluff, they're saying, if you want to leave, go ahead and leave. But, you know, if you want to keep negotiating and figuring this out, there are ways to make this happen. It seems as if there's a will to make that happen with the Oakland City Council. And, you know, it's just not it's just not a clean cut, clear thing. And um, so it's just going to take a while. But the longer it takes, you know, the less likely it seems to me that they're going to leave. It's a sunk cost fallacy, but again, the Oakland A's don't really do smart things. So I think they just keep digging the hole.
3: (laughs) I was going to take issue with the fact that you said Celine Dion and washed up acts in the same sentence, but we'll leave that for another day. I I, I, I forget forget
0: my audience sometimes. Apologies, apologies (laughs) all around
3: Uh, I just want to switch to the NBA Finals. They're still going on. It's game six tonight. Uh, The Milwaukee Bucks have a chance to win their first title in 50 years. It's been a year like no other with COVID situations, injuries to key players in the regular season, postseason. But you know, every season it's survival to the fittest to win the title. So what does it mean for the NBA landscape if Milwaukee was to win tonight, a small market team with a superstar that decided to stay a year early, didn't test free agency, believed in the process and could potentially take a title to that market?
0: I think it's great for people who really love basketball. I think it's really bad for all the people who like basketball because it's a great soap opera and you can talk about it on Twitter all day long. Um, it doesn't seem as if, uh, that many people are really interested in these finals. Uh, it's, you know, ratings are down significantly, um, uh, not even compared to last year, but certainly compared to the, that warriors, uh Raptors finals. Uh, and that was, you know, dealing with only one American team. That's us TV ratings. Uh, it uh it's down almost 10 million viewers so obviously the landscape of the world has changed dramatically in the last two years and certainly terrestrial tv has been feeling it long before that but um you know the 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 narrative at least down here is oh wouldn't these finals be better if lebron james were in it or kevin durant or in it or other? they're holding on to these past notions i think that for people who actually love the sport who love watching it they've enjoyed the bejesus out of this series it's just been exceptional basketball between two teams that you know aren't perfect but uh play the right way uh understand uh the concepts that win championships and are executing at an extremely high level on on most occasions and um, I, I think that beyond anything else, maybe the macro takeaway of this is, you know, buy in, take your money if you're a, a big time player, and believe that if your team goes all in, as the Bucks, I, I would say, and arguably did. I mean, going out and getting Drew Holiday was not a small thing. Being able to keep Chris Middleton and getting him to a new contract was not a small thing. Uh, adding PJ Tucker at the trade deadline was not a small thing. Like they they have they have consistently pushed. They've consistently found a way, even in a marketplace that uh, isn't as attractive as the coastal cities, uh, to bring in really good players who play a really, you know, competent style of basketball. And, you know, the superstar, you mentioned Giannis, um, he he stayed around, one, more money. And two, you know, I guess he just doesn't want for more. Uh, He doesn't buy Mm -hmm. into, you know, sort of the clutch sportsification of everything where you need to be. You know, 14 different things, including a basketball player, and you need to be in one of the major cities in order to make all those business deals happen. Um, I think that this is a great thing for the NBA, and I think that it doesn't just apply to Giannis. I think, it, I, it, you know, not the typecast or anything, but it doesn't seem as if the European-born players, the international players in the league, seem to have the same desire to get the hell out of mid-markets, even smaller major markets, and go to the biggest markets As, you know, players who grew up in an AAU system where everything had kind of been catered to them their entire basketball life, uh, you know, as much as they want to go. And uh, I think that's fantastic because it it makes the league overall stronger. Now, uh, there is a reckoning that probably needs to happen with how the league markets itself, who it allows to control, you know, at least have major say in the narratives and all that. Um, but it's, it's been an absolutely fantastic series for real basketball fans. I think it's fantastic that the Milwaukee Bucks are not just, you know, viable, but uh, possibly perennial in terms of their ability to contend. Uh, I think it's also great that the Phoenix Suns were able to do it. As much as Phoenix is a major market, um, they were you know, a joke of a franchise, and they made some great moves. Obviously, Deandre Ayton came through. Uh, we don't even need to, you know, explain how uh, smart of an acquisition Chris Paul was. But you know, guys like Torrey Craig and, and going down the list, um, this it's just great. It shows that you don't have to have kind of what the Warriors built in the second half of their dynasty. To compete. And I do think that there's some nihilism that kicked in around the NBA when Kevin Durant went to the Warriors because it was all for naught. No one was going to beat him. Um, At the same time, you know, the initial Warriors, you know, the first two years of the dynasty, the first championship, then the 73 win season, that was all homegrown and built, too. So it's a nice little return to that. And while San Francisco was an extremely major market at the time, Oakland um, it's even better now that it's in two markets that aren't perceived as big time and glamorous. I think it it brings the sport a little bit back more to the actual game and a little bit further away from the glitz and glamor and Twitter and, you know, the jump, you know, state run media stuff that that has been happening um, for the last couple of years. And, And that, As much as it might hurt in the short term, I think it's inevitably a good thing because uh, it really should all be about the game, and the game has been fantastic.
2: Well, you dropped nihilism in there, and now I've got Big Lebowski (laughs) quotes ruminating in my brain, and I don't think they're leaving anything. But you will, dude. At least it's an ethos. Love it great movie i literally could spend the next 10 minutes just going back and forth as we call lines from there <laughs> we're gonna get you on again soon because i love the the cap tip about nba expansion in there as well yeah it's something that we've alluded to this week because there's so much interest in the nhl expansion it would be great for the league i don't think the nba will screw it up the way they did the last time around and handcuff the teams <laughs> that they bring in but a yeah. discussion for another day Dieter. thank you very much for this man my Thanks, pleasure you. as
0: always let's talk soon
2: That is Dieter Kurtenbach of the Bay Area News Group. And this is something we mentioned yesterday, Karen, with all of the excitement, and I know a lot of it is in Canada, and with the NBA Finals going on and the Americans gearing up for the Olympics and putting out stories about their stars and NFL training camps being on the other side, every major market in the United States is not talking about the expansion draft in the NHL the same way. Yep. But, man, this is such a boon for interest. And the NBA, I don't know if it's in the next couple of years, Five years, you name your span. It's happening again. There are teams that are interested. There are markets, that, pardon me, there are ownership groups that are interested. There are markets that are interested. Mm-hmm. And I'm with him that Vegas and Seattle seem like the slam dunks, which leaves yeah. Vancouver on the outside looking in. But I am of the belief that before I go to my grave, which hopefully is a long time from now, there will be another NBA team back in this country.
3: Well, I mean, you just look at this, Scott. If. The quote hey i'm gonna quote a movie here <laughs> if you build it they will come uh kevin goster obviously and Field of dreams right but they've got a new arena in t-mobile in vegas and we know the popularity of vegas and basketball the summer league is held there in normal years and people flock there they love it it can be a basketball city and you go to again expansion too not transporting another team that's from a different market, trying to gain fans in your market. Like, this is an original homegrown thing. It's like the Kraken when they bring a team to Vegas, so hopefully that'll catch on better there than, say, a baseball team would and Seattle. I mean, we knew as soon as Seattle got the NHL expansion, they were building the Climate Pledge Arena that their goal was to ultimately get an NBA franchise back. I mean, the draw is bigger, the television money is bigger. We understand that with the NBA, so it's not surprising. Seattle got a ripped away once. I'd love to see a team south of the border. I'd love to see a team in Vancouver, because just like you, like I'm a NBA fan. I would love to go watch basketball games live in Vancouver. It's just yeah, there's bigger markets within within the United States of America that the NBA is focused on first, and that's Seattle and that's Vegas.
2: Yeah, maybe it'll be relocation. I still think it's going to, I still think it's going to happen at some point in time. We'll dive back into the National Hockey League right now. We want your tax in on this. 960, 960, 650, 650. What are you more interested in? The expansion draft? Or the entry draft. And there's a retirement today in the National Hockey League that won't cause a lot of discussion around this country, but I want to bring it up for one reason. I'll tell you why next on Rent-Tool and Sermon.